0: Hello and
1: welcome to the Friday, December 10th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Banning Books, Grassley's Naughty List, Rob Sand Blinks, and Robbie Smith Runs. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom.
2: Good morning, James.
1: Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
3: Good morning, James.
1: Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for Lee Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up today, book banning or book burning or take your pick, whatever you want to call it. Iowa Senate Republicans have found an issue to get fired up about. Ah, see what I did there? And fire up their base. Senate President Jake Chapman. Has discovered dirty pictures in books in suburban Des Moines schools. He's demanding their removal uh, of the books that typically feature characters or authors who are lesbian, gay, transgender, or queer, and in some cases describe sexual acts. Librarians and advocates for LGBTQ youth are pushing um, or calling this censorship and an attack on marginalized students. Aaron, uh, listening to Chapman and others, it sounds like these are how-to manuals that are available to kids as young as kindergartners. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Brad Zahn said the other day that if he sent those images to someone younger than 18, he could be charged with distributing pornography to minors. Um, what are these books that have folks so upset?
4: There, it, the, the books, um, there's a maybe a half dozen to a dozen of them that have popped up, so the titles... Uh, change um from district to district and complaint to complaint um but you kind of summarized it pretty well there it's usually about um lgbtq um, subjects or by and or by lgbtq authors um and and the content is typically uh passages within these books and and another key part of this is it's usually uh the complaint focuses on literally like one brief package a passage out of the entire book. Um, and, 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 and in most cases, it's something that's describing some kind of, um, sexual act. One is about masturbation. Um, um another is about, um, a, a young person getting an erection. So things like this, that, um, let's see, how do I put this? Um, most people can admit is, completely normal experiences for young uh people teenagers especially which is uh, where these um books are and and to your point that that this isn't in (laughs) these aren't in kindergarten rooms uh um uh just just like there aren't any critic isn't any critical race theory being taught to kindergartners either despite what you may have heard out there um so that's kind of the general umbrella that these things fall under. There also is one or two that um, are by and or about people of color and talking about their life experiences and challenges they faced. And some some people have complained about those, too, because uh, God forbid we um, acknowledge that kind of thing is happening. Um, so so that's that's kind of the general umbrella uh, of the complaints um, that we're hearing.
1: Sounds like this goes a little further than the, the movie I saw in sixth grade that said, soon you'll have hair in your armpits. And... <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. I had to watch that one in Boy Scouts. I, I, yeah.
1: I remember. <laughs> Todd, uh, the threat Zahn and others are making is that librarians and teachers could be jailed if they continue to make these uh, materials available. How likely uh, – is that, or is this just one of those issues that will be forgotten as soon as the next election is over?
5: Well, I, I, I'd i like to hope it's, it's not likely, uh, but I mean, these are hardly, you know, freshman backbenchers making these <laughs> statements. I mean, it's the president of the Senate and the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, so you have to pay attention to what they're saying. I have no doubt that there will be a bill, how far it goes, maybe it just... You know, passes on's committee, and that's all the further it goes. But uh, they rarely tell us what they're going to do. So when they do tell us, it's kind of worth worth listening to. You uh, know, and, and you know, under Iowa's current obscenity laws, I mean, they would have to change it because you know these books. There's no way they're obscene under current Iowa law, which says, you know, basically taken as a whole, if these have artistic literary merit which they clearly do i mean they're not obscene they're they're sort of cherry picking these sections out that are the most the most uh you know controversial and laying them out there like that's all these books are about and you know and granted you know these may offend middle-aged white republican lawmakers but they're really not written for them they're written for for kids who can see themselves In literature and and you know and and receive uh you know be able to read about the experiences of of people that are you know that they're going through and that they're you know what how they navigated it so uh it's you know it's a it's a it's a pretty egregious uh attack on you know public schools public school staff librarians freedom of speech freedom of expression i mean there's a long list of things that this attacks and it's it's I mean, hopefully, hopefully cooler heads will prevail and, and this will be sort of political bluster, but, you know, it's going to be part of campaigns. They're going to, you know, this whole, I mean, you know, they're going to look at the, the Youngkin race in, in Virginia and say, yeah, if we, if we bash schools for, you know, providing racy books, then we can, we can gain votes in the suburbs. So that's what they're going to try to do. Of course, those votes in the suburbs may be a little tougher to get if the Supreme Court ends up, you know, striking down Roe versus Wade and we ban abortion. Some of the, you know, those suburban voters are especially women. Of course, are not gonna, are not gonna be down with that. So it'll be interesting to see. But I, I think as an issue, it's going to continue. But if there's a, a an actual law, you know, making felony pal- penalties available for educators, I, I, I just I hope that doesn't happen.
4: Yeah, and and to just to add on to that, to what Todd's right there as far as. How soon this will go away um we this week uh was one of the forums that different groups put together ahead of the legislative session and lawmakers are invited to talk about what's coming up And the greater des moines partnership which is kind of a business organization here in central iowa had theirs this week and brad zahn was there and, and he doubled down firmly on that when it was brought up um so this wasn't uh off the cuff comment that he got caught and quoted on, and is going to go away. This is clearly something that at least some Senate Republicans uh, want to um, attack. To, to Todd's point, whether there's enough to keep a bill moving, we have no idea yet. But
1: so, so, Aaron, what was the response from uh, Democrats?
4: Um, you know, they are <laughs> pretty well set against it. I mean, they kind of they, they talk about it. Um, uh, being a, a like Todd said, kind of a First Amendment issue, and and it kind of fits into uh, the view that Democrats have taken on some of these other issues, uh, including like masks in school, where they say we should be leaving this kind of stuff to the schools and and um, letting them run their buildings, and you know us as state lawmakers uh, staying out of it. Um, um uh, I talked to senate minority leader zach walls this week and uh for our pre-session discussion and i asked him about this and and he said you know look that schools have a process in place for these kinds of things if if um there's a concern about a book that parents can raise it and and schools have committees or the board talks about it or or whatever and they they decide whether um, that book is appropriate or not, uh, if it's challenged. And, and we're seeing that happen, actually. Um, that has happened here in Ankeny with the, uh, a, f- a few of the, uh, those books were raised and, and, and they're in the process of examining those. So, so that's, that's where uh, Senator Zach Walls said is we should just be leaving this to the schools to decide for themselves.
5: But, but lawmakers are showing up to help. I mean, you know, that's there. It's always good to have a lawmaker, you know, state lawmaker that that doesn't represent the school district, you know, I was show just gonna up and say, not even show up and, uh, yeah. and, you know, you know, throw in their two cents worth to just, you know, a political circus is always the best way to make a, a good decision for on behalf of students and education.
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Amy and Tom, uh, are, are you seeing this, similar discussions in, in your areas? Uh, are school boards facing these sorts of issues yet, I should say?
3: Not yet in Northeast Iowa.
2: Same here.
1: All right. Uh, well, coming soon to a school board near you, no doubt.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Moving like- on. <laughs> Moving on here. Uh, Senator Grassley's naughty list. Senator Chuck Grassley's campaign sent out a list of 49 Iowa House members who endorsed his re-election, not surprising that Republican lawmakers would endorse the person who has represented them for their entire lives. But there are 60 GOP House members, so that raises the question, were those 11 lawmakers out of town when the campaign was preparing the lease, or are they endorsing someone else? I asked State Senator Jim Carlin, who is challenging Grassley for the nomination, he, he declined to say if these folks are endorsing him. He said, certainly some of them are good friends of mine. I know some of them lean towards me, but he didn't want to speak for them. So I called a handful of them. And so far, none of them ha- are speaking for themselves. Todd, uh, will the grandfather-grandson Team Grassley recruit primary challengers for the non-endorsers?
5: Well, I... I, you know, I, I I doubt it. I guess it depends on a case by case. If if they don't endorse Grassley and then just sort of remain quiet and don't endorse Carlin, I I think they're they're probably okay. Uh, you know, it's it's the the party has a range of uh, you know ideology, and I'm sure that there are some lawmakers that feel like you know Chuck Grassley shouldn't have voted for the bipartisan. Infrastructure bill, and maybe he shouldn't have cooperated on this or voted on that. So uh, maybe maybe they'll endorse him down the line. I I don't, you know, I still don't think Carlin is a serious threat. Although, you know, it's one of those things where if you have a primary and he were to show. You know, surprising strength, not beat Grassley, but maybe get, eh, you know, 15, 20% of the vote. That would be sort of a wake up call and might, you know, might be damaging to Grassley's chances. But I, I don't think at this point I would expect any any retribution.
1: Well, one thing that's interesting about this, Tom, is that among the non endorsers are some of the most conservative members of the Iowa House based on American Conservative Union's scorecard. Uh, they looked at 65 roll call votes. Um, dealing with election reforms, major tax reform, safeguarding the Second Amendment, expanding school choice and legislati- legislation banning critical race theory in schools. Unlike 24 of the 32 Senate Republicans, none of these 11 House non-endorsers had perfect scores. However, nine of the 11 scored 80 or higher. Mark Cisneros of Muscatine um, led the pack with 93 out of 100 on the ACU scorecard um, you know, are we seeing conservatives, uh, sort of a conservative result revolt against uh, Chuck Grassley?
2: Um, so uh, Todd uh, stole my thunder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I I agree 100 percent with with what he said. I talked to some Republican voters and donors back in October, the Scott County Republican Party's annual fundraiser, um, which Carlin attended and spoke at. I asked them about Grassley and what they thought of Carlin's campaign and his primary, primary challenge. And as Todd mentioned, several of them said they disagreed with Grassley's vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which they saw as tantamount to voting for uh, President Biden, Biden's and Democrats' much larger, build back better um, social spending plan, which Grassley opposes. Um, but, you know, one voter I talked to said, uh, you can't just print money. And and that's not how a good sound economy works. And I don't know why anyone would vote for the bill, noting that uh, 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 Joni Ernst uh, voted against it. Um, and then, you know, went on to call Carlin a, a straight shooter and said that they agreed with a lot of what he had to say, um, including that, uh, that there's enough of a question about fraud in the 2020 election that every state should conduct a, a forensic audit of uh, 2020 election returns to uh, restore trust in the process, uh, trust, we should note, that's been eroded by baseless claims of voter fraud sped, spread by Trump and its supporters that have been roundly and thoroughly debunked. Um, but Carlin argued that Grassley, with the power he had as a former chairman and ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, should have undertaken a, a 10-day hearing on the subject. And um, there were quite a few people in, in, in the room who seemed to um, agree with that. Um, they said that they also liked Carlin's uh, hardline stance on immigration and, and support for um, continued border wall construction. They also brought up Grassley's age and said that it would be nice to have a clean slate uh, for a change. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there, there is, um, to some extent, a, I guess, conservative repudiation from a segment of um, the Trump base and the Iowa Republican Party. Who, um, you know, believe that um, Grassley and Republicans, you know, should be in lockstep in opposition to, um, you know, any Democratic proposals, and, and should be, um, you know, soundly behind uh, uh, Trump, um, you know, as 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 the leader and future of the party. Um, remember Grassley back in January. Um, said that even if, uh, if, if Trump was not impeached, that the outgoing president had tarnished his legacy and had little authority to lead the Republican Party in the future due to the um, January 6th um, insurrection at, at the Capitol. Um, and, uh, you know, for fervent Trump supporters in the party, you know, that, that comment didn't sit well. Um, but then when, when you press them and you ask them, okay, so have you decided how you will vote in the primary, you know, will, will you vote for Carlin over Grassley? They remain on the fence. Um, so like, like Todd said, you know, I, I don't know if, if this is, you know, if there are enough people in the Republican party to where, you know, um, it's going to, um, that it's going to be a problem for, for, for Grassley. Again, you know, Carlin may get, you know, 15, 20%, um, and that, that may, you know, cause Grassley in, in, in the campaign, you know, maybe to do some, some reevaluating. but I don't, I don't think that it, it amounts to a serious threat.
1: You know, I wonder if, if Carlin gets 15 to 20, just say 15%, if the damage isn't more severe, uh, not for Grassley, but for folks like Marionette Miller Meeks uh, and, and Ashley Hinson, if those fifteen percent of Republican voters decide I'm not going to show up, you know, uh, and vote, th- they're not going to vote for Abby Finkenauer or uh, Mike Franken or whoever. But they might not vote at all, and you know, it, you take that sort of a margin in the first or second district, and that you know changes the outcome. Um, so Grassley will survive. Um, But it might have a down ballot effect um, that could hurt Republicans.
2: Potentially. But, you know, I I would point out um, Miller Meeks and Henson voted against the infrastructure bill um, and, and, you know, they could you know, they could potentially use that, you know, and, 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 and say, you know, look, you know, we're fighting against the the socialist Democrats and the Biden agenda. And, you know, we are your line of defense in Congress, you know, uh, against, um, you know, what, what they, you know, term to be, you know, radical elements of, of the Democratic Party and, and again, a, a socialist agenda. So, I mean, that that, that could help them that could help them um, you know turn out turn out people down ballot
1: but they did vote to certify the election which is another one of Carlin's uh, you know complaints grievances um, and I think lieutenant Miller Meeks vote for the um, January 6th Commission to form that
2: yes she um, she voted for the um, initial you know, bipartisan January 6 commission, but voted against Pelosi's, um, January 6th um, uh, uh, uh committee, the, 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 the yeah. current panel,
1: she, she was for it before she was against it. So,
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, she was, she was, she was, she was for a, a, a different proposal, different makeup, you know, one that, that, that she said was more bipartisan and, um, you know, had, had both parties equally at the table. Um, and, and, you know, and so she, she opposed, I guess the, the, the structure that, um, was proposed by, by Pelosi and that they're, they're using now.
1: In the Iowa house, um, Wes Breckenridge from Newton, um, who has, who resigned his seat and has been replaced with a Republican was, the, the top Democrat on the American conservative union's scorecard. He had a forty 45- five rating, 45 out of 100. Uh, Amy, a couple of Cedar Valley representatives were among Democrats with the highest ACU scores. Uh, Representative Dave Williams was a 42, and Representative Timmy Brown-Power scored 40. Um, I never considered either one of those conservative, but uh, are you surprised by those rankings?
3: Dave Williams, no. I mean, and, and these rankings are kind of Interesting. There's like a percentage, but then there's also like a ranking and then those numbers don't don't really match up. But I think overall, you know, it's not really surprising that um, Dave Williams would score a little bit higher. Um, His district um, is a lot of Cedar Falls um, and Cedar Falls is pretty well split politically. They lean slightly Democratic um, for, um, you know, voter registrations. But that's compared to Waterloo, where Timmy Brown Powers um, is. That is like two to one Democrats over Republicans. So it, it does not surprise me at all um, that someone from Cedar Falls would want to lean a little bit more conservative um, than somebody from uh, Waterloo. But keep in mind, these are also below 50% ratings. Um, so they're obviously voting um, Democratic or, or more liberal more of the time.
1: Sure. And and Tom, Cindy Winkler, Representative Cindy Winkler from uh, your area is the least conservative member of the House with a ranking of just 14%. Will that be a badge of honor for her?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. All
1: right. Moving right along. uh, We learned this week that uh, state auditor Rob Sand is terrified uh, to run against governor Kim Reynolds. Um, He answered the question politically inclined. Iowans have been asking since he was elected back in 2018 uh, when he announced that he's running for re-election rather than running for governor, um, <clears throat> Republicans were quick to pounce on his decision. The Republican Governors Association said that Iowa Democrats, not just Sand, I guess, but Iowa Democrats, are terrified to challenge Reynolds. Aaron, um, was, was Sand terrified, or, or and should Democrats be terrified to run against Kim Reynolds?
4: Terrified seems like a strong word. And I guess not all of them are, because we do have four candidates. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm maybe all but four Iowa Democrats. If I'm going to be pedantic here are ter- terrified. Um, terrified is a strong word. Um, I, I expect this to be a, a competitive election. I, I know. um like Kim Reynolds is not going to win by 10 or 15 points or something like that. that that's, that just seems really unlikely. Um, and it's easy to forget. She only won by three, just under three points uh, four years ago, three years ago in 2018. So this isn't going up against Chuck Grassley in the 1980s uh, or nineties here. You know, this is, <laughs> this is a, a, a winnable race. Now does Kim Reynolds go in with the advantage. Absolutely. Um, and, and if anything else, um, the, the challenge Democrats have right now is the low name ID on their, on the candidates that are running. Even Deidre Deshir, who has ran a statewide race in 2018 is still relatively unknown. Um, Roz Smith, uh, is, is very well known in political circles and very popular, uh, very well liked and respected among Democrats, but you know, you get to the broader electorate and obviously outside the city of Valley and, and, and a lot of people don't know him. So that's, that's more the biggest challenge. And um, you know, as for Rob Sands, look um, it's, it's, it's a winnable race, but it is uphill battle. And, and my guess is and I haven't talked to Rob since the announcement, but my guess is he made the kind of political calculus that I could run for governor and maybe win. Maybe pull it off, maybe not, and then uh, I'm not there, and maybe we lose the auditor race too, an open seat auditor race, and we've got no Republicans in state or Democrats in in statewide office in a position to hold Republicans to account. Or I can run for auditor again, be a favorite to win re-election, and and while I'm not governor, I can kind of be there to, as he has shown a willingness to do these past few years, you know, use the office to. Um, keep an eye on the governor uh, depending on what your political persuasion is you might argue use the office for your political advantage to attack the governor um but regardless that might have been the calculus i i, I can take my chance and maybe not be there at all or i can just stay here and keep doing what i'm doing to try and to, to, to keep a check on the other party so um uh, i think terrified is a strong word but it is noteworthy <laughs> that you know that not everybody has, you know, rushed to take on Kim Reynolds.
1: And we should point out that Kim Reynolds hasn't announced her reelection plans uh, other than to hire staff and act like a candidate. She doesn't seem <laughs> to be terrified by these Democratic candidates. Uh, yeah. Amy, do these candidates pose more of a threat than Democrats and Republicans are giving them credit for?
3: Maybe so we're, we're so I'm gonna come at this from an angle of that's really interesting that I didn't know was going to happen in the city election. And what happened in Waterloo was now you had a mayor that was already a known quantity, but he ended up raising a record amount of money and a lot of that money, as his opponent was saying, was from out of state, which tells me that he's able to um, take a campaign apparatus, push that out and say, we really need, you know, liberals, Democrats, you know, it's a nonpartisan city race, but it wasn't run like that. And certainly the governor's race will be partisan. We need these people in these key areas like Iowa. That message resonated and there was a ton of money poured in. I mean, he raised more than $100,000 compared to Margaret Klein's $30,000. So, I mean, if you can take that and magnify that across the state. Um, the other the other thing is though that Reynolds is going to have that apparatus too, and so she's probably going to raise more money than anybody else if she can, you know, leverage those national connections too. If anything else, I would see this as being after the primary one of probably the most expensive races run. Now whether it's Deidre degier whether it's um, Roz Smith, it'll be I think really, really interesting dichotomy and probably one that's going to be watched nationally.
1: Can uh, Democrats defeat Kim Reynolds with a Democrat just by raising a lot of money, having the resources to run, you know, strategic, dynamic campaign? I mean, just sort of, you know, a generic Democrat versus Kim Reynolds.
3: A generic Democrat, no. It would have to be somebody that excites the base, right? So in Iowa, you've still got a good percentage of a split vote. Um, Independents are still, you know, outnumbering everybody else. And then Democrats and Republicans are kind of split. You're seeing more Republicans than you used to. So you're really going to have to um, energize that base with a really exciting candidate. They've got some possibilities. Um, obviously, you could have the first Black governor in Iowa. Um, that alone could energize the base. Um, you've, you've got the potential to unseat a longtime governor that's, that's got a pretty big national profile um, that could energize not only the base, but the, the fundraising. So yeah, I think Aaron's right that it's an uphill battle, um, but there's definitely a possibility to energize that base and potentially pull it off.
4: The trick will be in the, in the general election and, and, and the messaging that reaches to those persuadable crossover voters. Um, And that may be tough if we believe the latest Iowa poll that came out a couple weeks ago. Some of the biggest issues of the day, um, a majority of Iowans side with Kim Reynolds on. They they think she's doing a good job on the economy. They they think she's doing a good job um, handling the COVID pandemic, which I know is a huge criticism from Democrats. But the the polling shows that a majority of Iowans um, are with her. A majority of Iowans are with her on all the school stuff that she's been doing. So... I don't know when that what if I was a Democrat, Iowa Democrat right now wanting to win back that governor's office, that might be what most concerns me is I don't know what the message is. I don't know what the line of attack is on Kim Reynolds because um, Iowans are, are, are generally supportive on her on all the big issues. I know we've already heard the messaging heading into the session that they're going to attack her on the workforce issues.
3: Yeah. Exactly. So,
4: so maybe maybe there's something there, but if that if that's conflated at all with the economy, the numbers don't show that there's much of an opening there. So so we'll see.
5: Well, and the and the governor is probably waiting for the next U.S. News and World Report state rankings to come out, so that you know last time she basically ran on the fact that they were number one in a magazine. So that'll be. I mean, if they're not, then I they, they may have a hard time. Cra- Crafting that, you know, a similar message. But, yeah, you're right about the poll. Iowans seem to, seem to support her on those in those areas.
1: Well, there's one more race we want to talk about today, and that uh, is one that typically doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, but Tom, uh, Quad Cities Senator Robbie Smith, announced this week he's going to be running for state treasurer rather than face um, Democratic Senator Jim Lycom uh, after they were thrown together by redistricting. Uh, he'll face Mike Fitzgerald, who has been in office since 1983 and is the longest serving state treasurer in the country. Uh, I guess you'd say he's the Terry Branstead of state treasurers, <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm, I'm not sure how uh, impressive that is. But um, I, I, on a personal note here, about a year ago, Smith swore never to talk to me again. However, hours after announcing his bid to be state treasurer, he followed me on Twitter. So... Perhaps this is some sort of a breakthrough.
5: Wow, that's good news. He did the same thing to me.
4: Ba- yeah, baby, baby steps. He's, baby steps. Your, your social media friends. Maybe uh, he'll actually talk to you. Soon, too. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but but we dig- digress here. Uh, Tom, uh, has Smith always had an interest in being state treasurer, or is this a newfound uh, passion?
2: Um, I mean, not that I was aware of until he, he, he made the announcement. I, I had no idea that, uh, that, yeah, that was something he was interested in. Um, but, um, um, some, some sources, you know, later told me that, uh, I guess, that this is something that, uh, he had been, uh, I guess mulling for, for, for quite some time. Um, yeah, I, I guess, um. It surprised me a little bit because it seems like um, you know he would have more influence and, and more clout staying where he is in the Iowa Senate. Um, you know, with his uh, position as the chairman of the uh, the state's um,
1: state government committee.
2: State state government committee. Thank yeah. you. Um, and and, and um, as being the the um, second most senior member of uh, the Republican caucus in the Senate, you know. Um, If he were to run again, you know, we could get a a pretty, pretty nice, um, you know, committee assignment and and maybe, you know, some sort of leadership position. Um, So I guess it it puzzled me a little bit as to why he would kind of give up that that power and influence to run for um, a statewide office that, as you mentioned, we don't really talk about. Nobody really follows. I mean, if you were to ask the average Iowan what the state treasurer does, they couldn't give you a response. And when you told them what they do, they probably wouldn't care.
4: To, the, to that point, maybe we've uh, finally get got the answer to when will Republicans finally run out of their agenda to-do list at the state capitol with the trifecta. Maybe, maybe they're finally to that end and, and Robbie Smith is ready to do something else.
1: Well... <laughs> We asked um, uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Zach Walls, um, you know, what changes, election law changes uh, Robbie Smith might propose in the 2022 session. And his response was, quote, all Robbie Smith does is change election laws and defend puppy mills. So, uh, Todd, um, does Robbie Smith have a puppy problem if he runs?
5: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think you would have to be, uh, you know, the most skillful craftsman of political messaging to sort of figure out a way to m- make that to your advantage. If, if, uh, treasurer Fitzgerald actually, you know, decides to, he needs to run a campaign with advertisements and, and those sort of things. Uh, yeah, I mean, your calling card is making it harder to vote and making it easier to torture animals is sort of a, that's a, that's not exactly, that's not exactly a winning, a winning message. I, I, I mean, I'm no expert, but that's, that seems like a bad place to start.
1: <laughs> well that's it for this edition of on iowa politics if you enjoy the podcast tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. and don't forget the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages of the websites of the quad city times waterloo cedar falls courier sioux city journal mason city globe gazette muscatine journal council bluffs daily non and cedar rapids gazette Milk and Eggs will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, Todd, Tom, and our producer, Katie, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well.
0: There's a hole in your heart And you want to feel it so bad Every time you fall asleep, you cry So you better take your mind for you fall down all bitter and die Fall down all bitter and die Before you fall down bitter and die Yeah, you better take your mind And put it somewhere else for a while For you fall down all bitter and And you wanna feel it so bad every time you try and think you cry. So you better take your soul and put it somewhere else for a while, for you fall down on bitter end